Heavenly Father, this morning we do rejoice that we are complete in Christ. We rejoice that our hope is not in our works. We rejoice that um, there is nothing that we can do ourselves. And Lord, we rejoice in the fact that we cannot lose our salvation. Because in Christ alone, we are complete. All that is ours in Christ is sure, for you are faithful and good. And so, Lord, even this morning we cry out, Abba, Father. Lord, it is in this hope that we turn, even now, to Ephesians. We open the Word of God. We know, Lord, that the work that you are doing in us is through the Word of God. We pray that your Spirit would work that you would mold us into the image of Jesus Christ, that you would change us, point out where we are weak, where we need to change, and work for your glory, Lord. Even this hour, I pray that you would give me authority and boldness to preach the word of God with clarity, that you would be honored in all that I say and do in this hour. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. What do you call a sugary carbonated drink? See, some people call it soda. Some people call it pop. Some people can't make up their mind, so they call it soda pop. It really depends on where you're from, does it not? Growing up in the South, I called it neither soda nor pop. I just simply called it Coke. In fact, I remember one humorous interaction I had at a restaurant. We had just been seated, and uh, the waitress was taking our orders. And when she got to me, I had not yet made up my mind. So I went last, and she went around the table and asked everyone, and finally came back around to me and asked, what do, I, what do you want to drink? And I responded, I'm not sure yet, but I'm definitely going to get a Coke. The waitress responded, okay, that's good. She wrote something in her little book, closed it, and walked away. I was kind of surprised because I hadn't ordered yet. But I figured she would just come back around, and when she brought everyone else's drinks back, then she would get my order. Instead, when she brought everyone else's drinks back, she also brought my drink, a Coca-Cola. See, my waitress and I were speaking the same language, but we had different experiences that were informing what we meant. In my experience, Coke was a general term for all carbonated sugary drinks. Coke operated kind of like Kleenex does in the realm of things that you wipe your nose with. You just call all of them Kleenex. That's how I viewed Coke. A Coke is simply, broadly, a general sugary drink. I had not yet narrowed down whether I wanted Dr. Pepper, Sprite, Root Beer, Coca-Cola, or Pepsi. I just knew I wanted Coke, not which kind. Yet to my waitress, it was the opposite to her. Coke meant a specific kind of drink. It meant Coca-Cola. This simple miscommunication simply illustrates how much our experiences inform our understanding. And that's important for us to understand this morning as we turn our attention to this passage. Because here in this passage... Paul addresses the issue of slaves 
and masters. That's a big topic. The issue of slavery. You see, our experience and knowledge of slavery is far removed and much different than that of Paul. The reality is that slavery is a word that comes with a lot of baggage, and rightfully so. But I think it is important for us to take some time here at the beginning to address slavery in the Roman world. What does Paul mean? This will allow us to start where Paul is starting, rather than to read our own understanding into Paul's words. So before we can get to the meat of Ephesians 6, 5-9, we must cut through the hide of slavery. Right from the beginning, it's important to understand that slavery in the Roman world was not the same thing as slavery that we know from American history. The primary difference is that slavery in Paul's day was not based in race. In fact, it was the dehumanization of racism that fueled the transatlantic slave trade. That is what we are familiar with. But Roman slavery was not racial, rather, it was circumstantial. You see, there were several ways that you become a slave in the Roman world. The two primary ways to become a slave were through war or through birth. Those who were captured in war, like the spoils of war, they were considered the property of the victor. He could do with them as he pleased. They were often conscripted into service of the Roman government or sold to private individuals. The second way was to be born into slavery. Those who were born to a female slave were born into slavery. They were considered the property of their mother's master. But there were also ways for a freeborn Roman to end up in slavery. Those who were unfaithful to their duty to the state or guilty of certain crimes, they could be punished by being sentenced into slavery, by losing their rights as citizens. Secondly, there were also those who were unable to pay their debts. And they would be taken possession of by their creditor until they were able to pay off their debt. The slaves to whom Paul is writing are slaves who are primarily based in the home. They are slaves who were generally treated well by their masters and even considered part of the household. As we see in our passage this morning, Paul is still in the realm of the household. It's important to note that unlike American slavery, where plantation owners would own huge number of slaves, and those slaves would do the hard labor of agriculture, Roman slave owners typically owned only one or two slaves who would work domestically or right alongside their master at whatever profession he did. In fact, the only kind of slavery addressed in the New Testament is household slavery. Those who worked in the home alongside their master. 
This is important for us to understand because this morning as Paul turns his attention to the relationship between master and slave, he is not addressing some large social structure or institution of his day. Paul is concerned with the individuals who are in those structures. Specifically, Paul is concerned with the relationship between a Christian slave and a Christian master. Or, as the NIV, Zondervan Study Bible, so succinctly puts it this way, Paul does not critique the institution of slavery, nor does he condone and provide a theological basis for it. Rather, he provides practical ways for dealing with the realities of his day, helping believers negotiate the tension between being free in Christ, yet obligated to serve an earthly master. So, brothers and sisters, it is with this general understanding of Roman slavery that we now launch into Ephesians 6, 5-9. And this morning we will see Paul's instruction for servants and Paul's instruction for masters. First thing we see is the instruction for servants in verses 5-8. to Paul starts out very abruptly, bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters. Again, as I already mentioned, we are still in the realm of the household. Paul is still dealing with these household codes. How should those who live in a household relate to one another? He's already dealt with husbands and wives. He's already dealt with parents and children. Now he deals with another institution in the home. The master and the slave. The interesting thing, though, is that when it comes to wives and children, their obedience is naturally assumed. But the submission of a bondservant is not a result of who they are. Rather, it's a result of circumstance or of choice not of some natural order. Yet Paul still expects obedience. One of the shocking things in this passage is that Paul addresses slaves or bondservants directly. In a day when women, children, and slaves had few rights, Paul has addressed each one of them directly. They would have been in there, in the church, sitting there, as the letter was read. In fact, that very fact, the cultural diversity of the church, speaks to the power of the gospel. Colossians 3.11 So verse says this, Here there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, nor free. But Christ is all in all. That is not just a powerful statement. That is a visible truth as the church meets. So bondservants, Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters. 
That phrase, be obedient, it is constant and it is active. It's the same word that Paul used when he commanded children in verses 6-1 to obey their parents. It is the idea of total obedience, total submission to the authority that has been placed over you. Be obedient to who? To those who are your masters. Again, here we find an interesting statement. Note the qualified nature of this statement. It's not simply be obedient. Because you are a slave, you must be obedient to everybody. But like a wife who is commanded to only submit specifically to her own husband, so the slave is to obey only his master. Be obedient to who? To those who are your masters. The slave's obedience is based on their social circumstance, not on some inherent inferiority in them as a human. In the social circumstance in which you find yourselves, submit to that circumstance. How? According to the flesh. These are your masters according to the flesh. Simply, these are your human masters. Those that the Lord has placed over you, submit to them. In what way? With fear and trembling. With fear and trembling. Again here, the idea is not of terror. It's a reverential fear. Trembling is the idea of under solemn responsibility. Honor them with solemn responsibility. In fact, the repetitive nature of these terms stresses the importance of this respect. Fear and trembling, Paul's basically getting at the same idea there. He's just really nailing it down. I want you to respect your masters. I want you to submit to the social circumstances in which you find yourselves. To take serious this call to obedience. In sincerity of heart, he goes on to say, It is a respectful obedience that is deeper than surface level. We can all go through the motions, can we not? That's not what Paul is saying. He's not saying just go through the motions. This is from the very core of who you are. Submitted to your masters. Why? Why would Paul say this? Look at those next three words. As to Christ. Submit to your social circumstances, to those that the Lord has placed over you, recognizing that your submission to your master is a direct result of your submission to Christ. This is really where this passage gets shocking. In the Roman world, when Paul commands servants to be obedient to their masters, that's not shocking. That's somewhat expected. The surprise here is the reason. 
Because you're submitted to Christ. Because your submission to your Master in your identity in Christ is an act of faith. It's an act of worship. In fact, the root of Ephesians 6, verses 5 to 9, is found in Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 10. Because Christ has brought you from death to life, He has changed everything. He has saved you to good works, as verse 10 says. God's work in you, it doesn't stop. At salvation, at the moment you believe, it goes on through all of life. Who you are in Christ affects everything that you do after that moment that you believe. It affects even your submission to your masters. Because as you submit, in the social circumstances in which you find yourselves, you are admitting that God is in control. I have been changed, and the Lord has me here for a purpose, and so I will do my best where He has me. In fact, Paul really nails down on this. He repeats basically the same thing in verses 6 and 7. Do this, not with eye service. Right? That's the opposite of sincerity of heart. Not with eye service, as men pleasers. Your motivation here is not to obey out of a fear of man, but it's an obedience that flows from a fear of God. Not as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ. There's that word again, bondservant as slaves of Christ. Be a good bondservant to your human master because you have a greater master. Doing the will of God. Again, that's kind of one of those phrases that catches us by attention. What do you mean the will of God? You are telling me that my place right now in this social structure where I find myself as a slave, that that is in the will of God? And that in that will, He wants me to submit and to obey? That's exactly what Paul means. The Lord is in control and He has you where He wants you. Doing the will of God from the heart. Again, the very core of who you are. Again, verse 7. Note the repetition of these verses. With good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. As to the Lord. As you submit to your human master, you are doing, you are serving a higher purpose. In fact, everything that you do as a Christian is an act of worship. It is a response to God in Christ. In fact, just look through those verses. The end of verse 5. 
This submission is as to Christ. Verse 6, as bondservants of Christ. Verse 7, as to the Lord. Do you think Paul wants you to catch something in there? Your purpose, the reason for this, it's not based on who your master is or how he treats you. It's based on who you are in Christ. It is the Lord that has called you to this. And do not forget, going back to verse 18, it is the Lord who equips you to do this. All of this is in the context of being filled with the Spirit. Submitting to one another. So submit to your master. Verse 8, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Knowing, being convinced of this truth, that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. Even as a slave, whatever menial task you find yourself doing, the Lord sees that. Not only does he see what you do, he sees your heart and how you're doing it. He sees you. He knows where you are. Everything you do as a Christian is ultimately done for the Lord. And according to verse 8 here, everything you do is seen by the Lord and everything will be rewarded by the Lord. He will not overlook one little deed done in faith. What a comforting truth. That regardless of the circumstances of your earthly life, whether you are slave or free, in Christ we all have the same hope. And in Christ we all have the same promise of reward. In fact, Colossians 3.24, kind of a sister passage to this, talks about the fact uh, that we all have share in this inheritance. We have an eternal reward and eternal hope. But day in and day out, every single moment, the Lord sees. The Lord knows. He will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. The general principle here for servants, is very similar to the general principle that we saw last week for children. For children, obey your parents that it may go well with you, and the, that it may go well with you. Here for servants, submit to your masters, obeying the Lord in that. Obey your masters, because the Lord sees and the Lord will reward you. Obedience not only pleases the Lord, it is for your best. The Lord is at work. The Lord sees. The Lord will reserve, will reward. So be faithful in whatever you are called to. Whether he is slave or free. That goes back to what we saw at the beginning of Ephesians 4. There is one master, 
one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all, whether slave or free. You have one hope. You have one inheritance. So in that knowledge, in that reality, submit to whatever social circumstances you find yourself in. Trusting the Lord. Responding to who He is. Secondly, instructions for masters. In verse 9, Paul turns his attentions and you, masters. I don't know if you've ever been in a sermon before. I can think of many times where I've been in a sermon before where the, the pastor is preaching. And it doesn't necessarily directly apply to me, but it applies to my wife or my kids or something. And I'm thinking, I hope they're listening. <laughs> right? And then comes that moment when the pastor turns his attention and says, Husbands? It's like, whoa, what a... That's kind of what I picture here. It's like Paul's turned over here. He's talking to slaves. And I can just picture the masters behind him seeing like, yes, I hope they're listening. And then he turns and says, masters. <laughs> now you know. Paul's about to drill down on you and you, masters, do the same things to them. But what do you mean, Paul? What do you mean do the same things? You told bond servants to be obedient. Am I supposed to re reverse that? Are you saying, masters now, be obedient also to your servants, to your slaves? What Paul is getting at here is not necessarily the same actions. He's getting at the same spirit-empowered respect in Christ. Just as you want them to treat you, so you, masters, must treat them. Treat those who are under your authority with eternity in view. No, the same thing that we saw in verse 8. No, that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. Know that just as the Lord sees every menial task that your servants do under your authority and He sees their heart, so the Lord sees you. The Lord sees how you treat them. The Lord sees your heart. Treat them with respect. Treat them with love, even sacrificial love, as we saw going back to Ephesians 5.1. Treat them as brothers and sisters in Christ. As those who have the same hope, the same Lord, the same inheritance as you. These realities must shape how you act. So give up threatening. This has no place. It may be acceptable in public opinion, but it is not acceptable in the Lord. Because you are not the same as the world around you. You are in Christ. You must change how you act. Because you have been changed. Let that change work its way from the inside out. 
be good and loving, be gentle and patient. Again, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. You may have some authority on earth given to you by God, but you will answer to the Lord of heaven. Just as he sees and knows those under your authority, so he sees and knows you. Love those under your authority as he loves you. Just as we've already seen in the husband and wife relationship and in the parent and child relationship, the one with the authority is the one with the responsibility. Just as with husbands and fathers, so with masters. The responsibility here falls on you. You are the ones who will answer for this. And notice here that Paul kind of gives a warning that speaks again to that responsibility. When he's speaking to the slaves, everything is positive. Know that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. The Lord sees and the Lord will will reward. And yet here in verse 9, Paul ends when speaking to masters with this. There is no partiality with him. That's a warning. What Paul there is saying is that there is no special treatment for you because you are a master. You will one day stand before the same Lord and judge as your slaves will. You will stand there. And you will answer for the authority that the Lord has given you. There is no partiality with the Lord. You have the same hope with your slaves. But know that there is no partiality with the Lord. You serve the same God. You have the same inheritance. So there should be no partiality with you. If you are called to submit, submit well in Christ. If you are called to lead, lead well in Christ. And all of this in the context of being filled with the Spirit in Ephesians 5, 18. The things that the Lord has called you to, the Lord will equip you for. Here in Ephesians 6, verses 5 to 9, we see the expectation for believers to submit under the authority, under the authorities that the Lord has placed them under. Not just naturally, as in your submission to your husband or your parent, but even socially and culturally. You may think, well, how does this apply to us? There's no more slavery. It was a wicked thing, but it has been done away with. How does this apply to us? I think there's a broad range of applications for this passage. 
In fact, it can be applied to every single relationship, but especially those where there's power, a power dynamic involved. The general principle of this passage applies to how you relate to your supervisor or boss at work. To someone who has authority over you, no matter how small that authority may be, the general principle of this passage applies. You must submit understanding that the Lord has placed them there. Children, Paul's already addressed your parents, but it, this applies to your teachers at school. College students, it applies to your teachers and administrators at school. Citizens, it applies to your political leaders, both local and national. It applies to your interactions with the police, with store owners, with neighborhood HOAs, or whatever it may be, wherever there's authority involved, the principles of this passage apply. Submit, understanding that the Lord has placed you there. Have the right attitude. Knowing this, that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. The same here goes for those in authority. Just as the gospel informs the submission of those under your authority, it must inform how you lead. With leadership comes responsibilities. And you will answer to the Lord for the way in which you choose to exercise your authority, whatever that authority may be. Paul here has chosen the most extreme relationship in the society in which he lives in order to show the extreme, life-altering, relationship-shaping power of the gospel. If the gospel can touch the relationship between a master and a slave, the gospel can touch everything. So maybe this morning you need to rethink your relationships. Maybe you needed the simple reminder that as a Christian, even the most menial job that you do carries the weight of eternal purpose in the gospel. If you don't like your job, submit to your boss and work hard. Not for him or her, but as to the Lord. Students, if, if one of your teachers rubs you the wrong way, submit in the Lord because you are first and foremost a bondservant of Christ. If you do not agree with your local community leaders, submit in the Lord. There are ways that you can address those issues. And by the grace of God, you're free to do that appropriately. But in the meantime, submit to those the Lord has placed over you. Submit and lead with eternity in view. Showing those that you are under the authority of or those that you have authority over the spirit-empowered respect and love that you are called to have.
This passage is not about what others deserve. This passage is about who you are in Christ. It is about the power of the gospel. It finds its root all the way back in Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 10. So, brothers and sisters, in Christ, be faithful wherever he has placed you.